Hey there, everyone. This is Dave DeBow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. And today, it is my pleasure to finally pig down an old friend and acquaintance of mine, Mr. Mike Wolf. And if you haven't heard of Mike, Mike is a very accomplished real estate entrepreneur. He's been doing this stuff for 30 years. Before you were born, 30 years. Like, <laughs> Which is hard to believe because you're only like 39, Mike. Yeah, I wish. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Been doing this for a long time. He's created, you know, what I I suggest is probably everybody's dream lifestyle. This guy is, you know, globe trotting around the world. Every time I see him on Facebook, he's popping up in some different exotic locale, all thanks to real estate investing. So, Mr. Mike Wolf, welcome to the show. Hey, good to see you, Dave. Thanks uh, so much for having me. My pleasure. So, Mike, let's start at the beginning. And this is going to be a very free flow kind of a conversation, but how and why did real estate cross your radar in the first place? Well, it was a very good mistake that I never, I never actually intended to get into real estate. And so if we were to backtrack to last century, I was, uh, you know, I remember being in the middle of grade 12, having absolutely no idea what I wanted to do when I graduated from high school. And my parents always were bugging me. You need to be doctor, lawyer, doctor, lawyer, doctor, lawyer. So Anybody who knows me knows that I don't like blood. So doctor was off the table. And so by default, I was going to be a lawyer. And I went to University of Calgary, got my first degree and managed to rack up what seemed to me like an insurmountable amount of student loans. I think it was like 24,000 bucks, which in the the 80s was a lot of money. And so I remember thinking, you know what, I'm going to go and pay this stuff off and then I'm going to go back at my second degree. And so I got a job at the phone company, which uh, because I had a friend who's Mother was a manager there. It's now known as TELUS. Back in those days, just to date myself, was Alberta government telephones. And so it was back then it was a government job. It was union, paid well. And so while I was there, I won't tell you the whole long story, but while I was there, I bought my first property to live in. And then my mortgage broker calls me up one day and says, hey, Mike, you know what? Your credit's good. You're making enough money. If you want to buy another property, I can get you another mortgage. And I said, why do I want another property? And man, I wish I got that call every day. But so anyway, so they said, well, you, you buy a property, you put a tenant in place, they make your mortgage payment for you. Anything over and above that, you get to keep. And you know, 25 years down the road, the mortgage is paid off. And now you've got something that's giving you, you know, gravy at the end of every month. I go, okay, that kind of makes sense. So I bought my first revenue property and still working at the phone company. Two years later, the market in Calgary takes off and I'm looking at how much equity I've got. And I never thought in my entire lifetime I would see that much money. And so, especially for somebody who is still in debt with my student loans. So I remember thinking, hey, you know what? In the last two years, I made this much at the phone company and this much in real estate, and I don't even know what I'm doing in real estate. So basically, I decided, well, if I could do this by mistake, what would happen if I did this on purpose? And so that was the start of a now 30-year career. And I wish I could say that everything after that went really, really smoothly. Uh, the next so boring, though. That would be so boring. It's a really boring story. It would have made my life a lot less stressful. But, you know, the challenge when you're in your you know, mid-20s and you suddenly come into making some money, you feel like, hey, I know how to win the lottery. I know how to do this over and over. And, of course, your ego gets the best of you. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, well, I mean, originally I got in with a long-term approach. I was going to buy this property, hold it for 25 years. That was the original plan. And when I got a taste of that first paycheck, greed kind of kicked in. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to do this like every 90 days. And as you know, and I know that, you know, if you do something by fluke, 
and you can't duplicate it, that could be a problem. And so I, I maybe quit my job at the phone company a little prematurely and maybe told my parents that, hey, you know what, screw that, I'm not, I'm not going to law school. And they're still pissed at me to this day. But basically, I kind of burnt all my bridges. And that was actually, in a way, it worked out to be a good thing. But at the time, it was probably a dumb thing to do. So don't quit your job after you get that first paycheck. That's my advice. All right. Very good. Well, hopefully, at least you're able to pay down or pay off your student loan. Well, they're long gone now, fortunately. No, I met with that first deal that you, that you sold. I, I, I actually did. I did get rid of it. That's the first thing I did was paid that off. That was off my plate. But yeah, the, the thing about telling my parents that I wasn't going back to law school is after I, the next couple of deals, I managed to lose almost all of what I made. But I couldn't really tell my parents they were right. I couldn't go back and say, yeah, you know what? I should get a degree. So I have something to fall back on. I couldn't tell them they were right. So that led to the next phase where basically I found somebody who was doing what I wanted to do and basically said, hey, listen, I've got enough money to do one more real estate deal and I can't afford to screw this up. So if you're willing to be my partner on it and you teach me what you know, I'm willing to split profits with you. And that was my first mentor. And luckily I, I went that path. So what, what strategy was that back in the day? Back in those days, I went from what was meant to be a long-term hold. Back then I was fixing and flipping. Okay. And I wanted to get in and get out really quickly. But unfortunately, you know, I thought, oh, I don't need to pay an inspector. And, you know, everything, you know, the story, things went way over budget, way over time. And like I said, in my second and third deals, I managed to lose a good chunk of what I made. But then luckily, uh, you know, I went from being a know-it-all to like being very humble and asking for help for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mike, over your 30-year career, I imagine you've tried a whole bunch of different kinds of real estate investing. What would you say, well, especially nowadays, or what's your main bread and butter strategy? Well, I have two things. One is, and I recommend for everybody that this be their long-term goal. I have a lot of passive income from now I've gone back to what I originally did and that was buying properties to hold for the long term and getting that that cash flow and passive income because I have teams that collect my rent for me I don't deal with that myself anymore so that's something I don't recommend people do is become their own property managers like I did early on so that's one thing and then you know over the years you know when I first started I was in my you know early to mid 20s and a lot of my friends said you're never you're never going to be successful as a real estate investor and a lot of these people are now my clients. But once I became successful, a lot of my friends started to come to me and say, well, we want to invest in real estate too. How do we do it? And you know, they thought they could take me to Starbucks for an hour and I could teach them everything I know. And as you know, that doesn't work. So I started to, at first I was buying properties for myself. And then I started to buy properties for myself and my friends. And then it led to me buying properties for myself, my friends, and my friends' friends. And now it's led to me having a turnkey real estate business where I sell uh, properties in the U.S., mostly to Canadian investors who want to invest south of the border. And so I guess I'm fixing and flipping on a large scale. And my target audience is, you know, Canadian and other foreign investors. Because now I've got, over the years, I got asked a lot of the same questions, as I'm sure you do. And so I made a YouTube channel where I answer those frequently asked questions. And now I've got people all over the world buying turnkey properties in the United States from me. So that's... You know, that is also a passive business because my teams do almost all the work with that. I set up the teams, put systems in place. So it's actually relatively passive income. So that and my portfolio of buy and hold properties are the two ways that I, you know, make most of my so, income. Okay. So your your portfolio, let's look at each one of those if you don't mind. So your portfolio of buy and hold properties, what does that consist of primarily? Are you single family homes, suited houses, multifamilies, bit everything? I, 
Well, I've, I've tried pretty much everything over the years. And for me, what's worked best is just single family homes. You know, in the U.S. now, like for example, in Atlanta, you know, some of the homes that I resell start at $70,000 U.S. And in D.C., that's not even a shed. Even in Calgary, where in the middle of a recession, the homes are you know five to six times more expensive here than they are there. And so I have a bunch of properties, single family homes. I still have some in Calgary that I bought a long time ago. And I have a bunch in different parts of the U.S. where I've invested, you know, over time, one of the things I do differently than most people is I don't stick with the same market. I go to a market, buy things while well, they make sense, while well, the numbers make sense. And then when people start fighting over properties, I exit and move that money to the next market and just rinse and repeat. And I've done that in you know, Vegas and Phoenix and several Florida markets, Texas, and now we're very strong in Atlanta. Smart, smart. Very, very interesting. You find the markets that are on the way up. You buy a bunch of single family homes there. Then when the market peaks or you think it's pretty close to peaking, you sell off and go to the next market and rinse and repeat. Is that pretty much it? Exactly. Exactly. Smart, 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 smart. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about the turnkey properties. I guess you're probably doing those in the same markets that you're buying your properties in. Would that be yes, a safe uh, sign? Absolutely. I only sell, I eat my own cooking. So I only sell what I would buy myself and what I'm currently buying. And, you know, the big plus to that is obviously, you know, when we're doing large volume, to give you an idea, we've sold around a thousand homes in Atlanta in the last seven to eight years. So obviously when we're doing that kind of volume, we can go and buy, you know, directly from banks or distressed assets. And also, you know, when we're fixing up the homes, you know, if you were to come to Atlanta with me and go look at the homes, after you saw two or three, you'd say, Mike, I don't need to see anymore. And that's because they all have the same carpet, same appliances, same paint. Yeah, that's very, very standardized. And yeah, obviously, smart. economy of scale, we get stuff a lot cheaper that way. And it also makes it really easy for me because, I, as you mentioned, I love to travel. The last thing I want is people calling me all day long saying, hey, what color paint should we do this? Or what, what carpet should we use? So it makes it very, very easy and systemized and gives me my freedom. Very, very nice. So, Mike, I imagine it took you quite a while to kind of figure out this, this whole process. and you know, a lot of Canadians are very, very excited and curious about the idea of investing in the States, but they're scared spitless and they've heard all these things about all the legal entities that you have to set up and double taxation, trying to get your money back into Canada and getting your butt suit off by all those Sioux hungry Americans down there. So <laughs> what do you say to Canadians or folks that are kind of concerned about that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, my advice, first of all, a lot of things that people are fearful of are actually work to your advantage. And so what I mean by that is if I do a similar transaction in Canada and I do the same sort of transaction with the same profits in the U.S., in most cases, I'm going to pay less tax on that transaction if you're set up properly, number one. Number two, a lot of this stuff isn't really rocket science. You know, if you're investing in Canada, you should be investing in an entity Anyway, you shouldn't be buying your personal name anyway. So if you're going to set up an entity here or one there, it's the same process. But to me, when I look at the prices and the return on investment in any major Canadian city, it's like, it's mind boggling to me. Like when I see little hick towns in the middle of nowhere where the homes are, you know, three, four, five times more expensive than the U.S. cities I'm working in that have really good fundamentals. Like Atlanta, I love. The government there is very business friendly. So if you're a landlord they give you preferential treatment over the tenant and that does not exist in most of Canada. No, so definitely can, not. Yeah. So I can get rid of a bad tenant typically in around three weeks. Wow. You know, I Personal. never, 
had a lot in Calgary. Three to six months here, right? I mean, exactly. And so, but also for the same reason that they're, as I mentioned, business friendly, they also have tax benefits. So a lot of companies have their head offices there. So you, know, you look at Delta Airlines, Turner Broadcasting, Home Depot. I mean, the list goes on, Coca-Cola, list goes on and on and on. And so when you have those kind of fundamentals, the economy is never going to suck there because even if Coca-Cola shut their doors, there's all these other businesses in a whole bunch of different industries. So it's not a one industry town. So these are some of the things that you want to look at. And if you're investing close to home just because it's convenient, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. And, you know, I've been investing in the U.S. now for around 15 years. And since I started that, I haven't bought a single property in Canada. So I think that says something. And it would be a lot easier for me to invest in Canada, all things being equal, but it's not. And so you're missing out on a my advice would be don't don't go blindly investing down there. Get somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, that's why a lot of Canadians come to me to buy in the States because I know how to move the money back and forth. I know how to deal with the taxation. So you don't get double taxed. And I know how to, you know, all the things that people are scared of. I was scared of too when I first started, but the opportunity was just too good to pass up. And I've had to, over the years, I had some expensive lessons, but now I've got them figured out. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, what, what are some of the big mistakes you see Canadians making when they first make that foray into trying to buy properties in the States? Well, the big thing is not, you know, not doing their research or quite often, I think the biggest mistake I see people making is picking a market just because it's cheap. So it's great to find properties that are inexpensive, but you want to be ideally buying properties that are underpriced in a good market. And so as an example, one of the mistakes I made early on in my U.S. career is myself and a couple other investors, we wanted to test the waters in Detroit. And back in the day, and I think even to this day, you could literally buy properties for a dollar. And we didn't buy them for a dollar. We went a few steps up from that, but we bought homes that were pretty cheap. If I remember correctly, they were like thirty dollars and $40,000. And that was a huge mistake. I ended up losing some money on those properties. I was very glad to exit that market. So go to a you know, market that has the right fundamentals. And so just really quickly, because I know this is, you know, I don't have all day, but really quickly, the things you want to look for, first thing you want to look at is how uh, landlord friendly is a market. Right. is the market. And so you go to a place like California, and that's even worse than most of Canada. It can take you over a year to get rid of a bad tenant. And I don't know about you, Dave, but I've never had a mortgage company call me up and say, hey, I hear you're having trouble collecting your rent. You don't have to pay your mortgage till you get rent. No, no. I never does that happen. No. So it's pretty hard to run a business when you've got no income and you've got bills and you have no way to get rid of those tenants. So not only are they not paying, you can't get rid of them. So that's number one thing you want to look at. Number two, is what are the chances of appreciation? And so things such as obviously growth and people moving there. And in the U.S., people will move quite frequently to other places in search of employment or lower cost living. In Canada, we don't do that as much. In the U.S., that's very common. And then the third thing I look at, and this is often the first thing that people look at, is ROI, return on investment, in terms of how much cash flow are you going to get. And if you go to that first, you ignore the other two, you're never going to actually achieve those numbers you see on paper. I call those paper returns because they never materialize. So you want to do those first two things and then you get to that ROI. And if you do that, you'll be in a pretty good position. Awesome. Mike, time flies when we're having fun, my friend. We'll have to have you back on the show because goodness knows you're a bevy of a wealth of information and knowledge and hard-earned experience. So I appreciate you sharing some of that. If people want to find out more about you, Mike, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they can go to my website, which is mikewolfmastery.com. 
wolf's just like the animal. And when you get there, by the way, there's a uh, access to a free passive income masterclass. So you might want to sign up for that and uh, teach you a lot of the stuff I've learned as a Canadian investing in the US and how I've created my passive income there after making a whole bunch of mistakes that you don't need to make. Beautiful. Mike, thank you very much, my friend. Really appreciate it. Thanks it's always for a lot of fun. Me. Yeah, it's great being here. Thank you. All right, everybody. That's it for this week. Stay tuned for our next episode. Take care. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. And if you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. We very, very much appreciate it. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at InvestorAttractionDemo.com. Take care.